Welcome to Redemption Church, everyone. I'm glad we're having an exciting and talkative morning. Um, For those of you who don't know who I am, uh, I'm Brennan Smith. I've been around the congregation for a couple years now, um, but I currently serve as the Sunday Campus Coordinator, which basically means I make sure my main responsibility is to make sure everything around campus is ready for Sundays, and then along with that, I serve with the band and with the music team, too. Um, As a local expression of the family of God, we're seeking to embody the gospel in all of life in the Arcadia area. We are one church with 10 congregations throughout Arizona. We're a gospel-centered, outward-focused, and believe that all of our life is all for Jesus. Um, We have a quick announcement. Um, Today is the anniversary of the country we live in, which is exciting. But even more exciting (laughs) is that next week we will be celebrating the five-year anniversary in this building for Redemption Arcadia. Walmart's been selling fireworks for us and things like that. Um, Expect some cookies next week at church. Uh, We've been around for 12 years, but in this building, it'll be the five-year anniversary next week. Um, All that being said, please stand for the word, uh, for the, for the word, for God's word. Please stand for God's word. (laughs) All right. Today's reading is Nehemiah 6, 10 through 14. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Well, good morning, Redemption. My name is Tyler Thompson. I'm one of the pastors here. I typically am working in the areas of worship as well as uh, RCs, Redemption Communities, which are our version of small groups. Uh, And then I'm on the preaching rotation and enjoy doing that as well. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, We have uh, four of us pastors here. Uh, Pastor Frank, who's our lead pastor, who is out of town and away this this week. Uh, Pastor Trey Fraley, who's our next-gen pastor. Uh, He's actually preaching at Redemption Gilbert this morning, so if you're interested in checking that online, you want to do that later. And uh, Pastor Tyler James, who is our family pastor as well as our executive pastor, uh, who is here, and he'll be doing our benediction later on today as well. We're so thankful that you're here. Uh, We are in in Nehemiah chapter 6, and I just want to give you like a one-word sentence for what this sermon is. And that one-word sentence is this, that like Nehemiah, we need discernment to view matters as God would view them and not as the false evidence appearing real. 
uh, fear, as you might see uh, from the graphic up here or my t-shirt, is false evidence appearing real. I first heard that from uh, Frank Switzer, actually our lead pastor. Uh, he had said that that was a quote from the guy who was at fashionpastor.com. So I went to fashionpastor.com and checked that out. That's an interesting site. You might check that out at some point. <laughs> and it turns out that that guy did say that. Uh, and also Nick Vujicic said that as well, if you guys know who Nick Vujicic is. But it turns out that neither of those guys actually made that up. Uh, all kinds of people have been saying that for years. I couldn't track down what the original source was, but nonetheless, the statement is true. Fear is false evidence appearing as real, and, and particularly we'll see this kind of fear show up in today's passage in Nehemiah 6. Uh, for an example, we actually had somebody the last several weeks trying to make us afraid that the sons weren't going to make the finals. And uh, so I'm here to say today that that was actually false evidence appearing as real. Yeah, yeah. so uh, the sons are in the final. <laughs> Even though somebody had tried to make us afraid that that wouldn't be the case. Uh, and, now, and now, you know what? Our hearts might still break. It's possible. I was here in 93, and I was 14 years old at the time. And it's possible that uh, our hearts might still break. But it won't be them that did it to us, because they've made it to the finals. They're playing well. And you know what? The truth is that regardless about whether they get to the finals and they win or they get to the finals and they lose, uh, either way, it will bring glory to God. Amen? Amen. Be be because... <laughs> because all of life is... Yeah. Yeah. Because all of life is all for Jesus. Amen. And so we believe that regardless of what happens, whether the sons win the final or not, uh, ultimately any of these things will bring glory to the Lord because whether win or lose, God is glorified. And we see that in Nehemiah 6 as well, that the things that we think, like Joseph, the things that we think are meant for evil or the things that are meant for evil, God meant them for good, which I'm praising the Lord for today. So open your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 6. We, like Nehemiah, need to discern how to view matters as God would view them rather than how they might appear on the outside. And he's going to do that through three specific ways. We need to discern what, uh, who we're up against. We need to discern what we're up against. And we need to discern when God has won the victory who we're up against, what we're up against, and we need to discern when God has won the victory. David Guzik says that discernment is the ability to judge matters according to God's view of them and not according to their outward appearance. Man, I get tripped up on this all the time, where I am viewing things based on my, the way they appear to me, but not on God's view of the matters. So we need this gift of discernment that the Lord might give to us. First, we need to discern who we are up against. And the truth is that we are up against the same old enemy, the adversary. 
When we were planning uh, these sermons, this sermon series uh, as Redemption Pastors and working through Preaching Collective, uh, we had Mike Goheen come in and share with us how he might preach through some of these passages. And this title was going to be The, con- the Conspiracy, The Conspiracy Against Nehemiah. And, and Mike said, you got to change that title to The Adversary. And the reason is, he says that God's people have always been opposed by the adversary from the beginning. And ultimately, we need to recognize that the enemy that we fight against is not flesh and blood, but is the adversary himself. Nehemiah 6. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab and the rest of our enemies, heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. The first thing here is that we need to recognize that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but our battle is against the adversary, the devil, Satan, the one who is working against God's people and against ultimately God from the very beginning. We want to recognize that he is the one that we are fighting. It is is as though uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul knows, as Nehemiah does, that what we face is the devil himself. Now, it's important that we recognize this. I heard once that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist, right? So sometimes we can be labeled as sort of out there if we we think about this devil who exists fighting against God and fighting against God's people. But the Bible is clear that this adversary exists. And we ignore him to our peril. We ignore him to our peril. If we don't know the devil exists, then we won't know how to face him. If we don't know the devil exists, then we'll be blind to his attacks. If we don't know the devil exists, we might be tricked into thinking that our enemy is actually somebody else. We might be tricked into thinking that our enemy is actually a friend, a family member, a political party, a country, a particular organization. We might be tricked into thinking that those that are around us that are actually not our enemies are enemies to us. Now, certainly we will face people who are, as Paul says, enemies of the cross. That there are people who will stand with the devil against God instead of being on God's side. And certainly that is what Nehemiah uh, faced here. But we can be tricked into thinking that some of these lower level people are our true enemies. And we don't look behind the surface to what is actually going on there. Similar to... And I don't, spoilers if you haven't seen Star Wars yet. We're fighting Palpatine again. 
he's back. Some of us can be tricked into thinking that we're facing General Hux, but the real enemy is Palpatine. Hux is a sideshow. This is the case for us as well. We can be tricked into thinking that we're facing the people that we actually work with, eat with, go to school with, go to church with. And the Bible wants, the Lord wants us to see through this word this morning that we face actually a greater adversary. So we need to discern who we are up against, and that is the same old enemy. And you can look up Job chapter 1, you can look up Genesis chapter 3, you can look up various places in the scripture where you say he's up to the same old tricks that he's been doing all of this time. Going on, we need to discern what we are up against. So we need to know who we are up against. We also need to know what we are up against. And what we are up against is the same old tricks. Look at verse 3 in Nehemiah 6. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot, cannot come down. Why should I stop work while I leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah is left with a decision. They've asked him to come down to Ono, by the way. Ono was not exactly very close to where Nehemiah was at the time. It was a little bit out of the way. It's sort of like saying, <laughs> to use another one of Frank's mafia descriptions, it's sort of like saying, hey, that's my favorite coffee shop over there. Come on, meet me at 12.30 a.m. Uh, and, uh, and we'll just, we'll meet and we'll, we'll work out some details of this agreement that we're trying to get to. Nehemiah had to say no to going to Ono because it was out of the way. It was going to make him put down his work he was going to have to actually set aside what God was calling him to. Nehemiah had to discern the tricks of the enemy, which is that they were trying to pull him away from the work that God had called him to. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever found times in your life where you've been distracted from the things that God has called you to, but that you know God's calling you to a specific thing, and you're distracted, and you put it down towards something that is not as important. We have to have discernment to know when the enemy is trying to take us away from the work that God has called us to. Verse 4, and they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. This is the, the next trick here that the devil uses when he's fighting against us, and that is persistence. Oftentimes, the devil is not going to let us go with one, one temptation, one trial. The devil's not going to let us go with just one trick, but that trick is going to come back over and over and over again. And you know what? We fall for it. Sooner or later, we often fall for it. But the devil can, in his persistence, wear us down. It's why one of the greatest times that he fights against us is when we're tired, when we're weary, when we've been very busy, when it's late at night. These are just practical times that the devil comes to fight against the people of God. And maybe you've experienced that as well. For, for Liz and I, that day happens to be Saturdays. We've noticed, I've been in ministry now. I told you I was 14 in 1993. I'm 42. I've been in ministry now for some, in some form for about 25 years. Liz and I have noticed that on Saturdays, we oftentimes have some of our hardest days. 
the day before Sunday. It'll be mid-morning, and all of a sudden, we'll recognize that the two of us are, are fighting with each other about just stupid stuff. You could ask Liz about the stupid stuff that I did yesterday. She'll, she'll tell you. No, she won't. She won't. But you could ask her. And it's the middle of the day, and, and Liz and I are f- fighting about just the, the dumbest stuff. And then we, we, we pause for a moment, and we recognize it's Saturday again. It comes every week. I have to preach tomorrow. I have to lead worship tomorrow. It's no wonder the devil will come right in the midst of what you're trying to do in serving the Lord. That he's going to come right at the time that is hopefully, he's hoping to distract us from the work that we have to do with God. And so I recognize that he'll come right, right in the place that we're trying to serve the Lord. He'll come right at the time that is bad timing for what we're trying to do with the Lord. He'll come right, right at the time when we're tired or we're weary or that we might be discouraged. He's up to his same old tricks. And he's persistent. So Tobiah and Sambelic come five times to Nehemiah to try to wear him down. We must be careful that we don't allow ourselves to be worn down in this way so that the devil can keep us at a weak spot. The letter says this in verse 6 of Nehemiah 6. It was written... It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports, so now come and let us take counsel together. This is another tactic of the adversary. The adversary wants to catch us when we're tired, when we're weak, uh, when we have important events. He wants to wear us down. The, The adversary will also try to misrepresent our views. Now, how many of you like being misrepresented? I hate it. I hate being misrepresented. One of, one of the things that I, that, I, that I like the least in this life is when somebody thinks something about me that isn't actually true. And it reveals actually how much I care about other people's thoughts, which is un- unfortunate for me. i got to learn how work on that. I hate to be misrepresented. Be- because there's a, there's a lie there, there's a deception there, where the devil is able to actually uh, trip up the body of Christ with with untruths. And here, the people are coming against Nehemiah saying, you want to build the the wall, you want to build the the, the walls so that you can rebel against us, so that you can set yourself up as king. Now my mind immediately goes there to when Jesus Christ was born and there was already a king in King Herod. And there was a king who was threatened in his kingdom by this baby Jesus. The misrepresentation here is that Nehemiah is setting himself in the place of king. And it's the farthest thing actually from Nehemiah's heart. Nehemiah is is a person who wants to serve the eternal king. He's a person who wants to, to give his life to the service of Yahweh. 
but he's being represented as though he is trying to set himself up with a power grab. Oftentimes, people who are working with the adversary will come to you and they will misrepresent your intentions while hiding their intentions from you. And this is what they tried to do with Nehemiah. If we don't know what we're up against, we're going to be surprised by the work of the adversary. A few games ago, there was a play at the end of the Suns game, and somebody set a back pick for DeAndre Ayton so he could flip around to the basket and get a tip in. And it was beautiful. And it was beautiful because it was a back pick. The defender didn't even see it coming. This is what the adversary is famous for. He's setting back picks all over the place with all of us. And if we don't know what the adversary is up to with his tricks, we're going to fall victim to being backpicked in life. That was a good one, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So we need to be aware of the kinds of tricks that, that the adversary pulls against the church. And Nehemiah is not going to be tricked by this misrepresentation. Verse 8, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Whew, that stuff is powerful. There's a simplicity to this response that we ought to grab onto to today. Nehemiah didn't spend a lot of time defending himself. Nehemiah didn't spend a lot of time trying to convince them that they they were wrong or that he was right. He didn't try to reshape their misrepresentation. He just said, what you're saying is not true. You're making it up out of your mind. And I think there are times for us that we spend all the time in the world trying to defend ourselves clear up the misrepresentation, make sure that everybody knows the truth, when really we can rest assured that God's truth is going to come out, and Nehemiah simply says, what you're saying is not true. It's the other times when we protest that we we actually reveal that there might be some of that in us. No, 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 I don't want to be king. I don't want to be king. I don't want to be king. Don't make me king. Make me king. When we protest too much, it reveals that there's some of that in our hearts. Rather, we can respond like Nehemiah did and said, what you're saying is not true. And Nehemiah had the wisdom to be able to leave it at that. He also understood that if he were to drop the work, then the adversary will have already have won. So if we spend all of our time defending ourselves, clearing up the misrepresentation, we will actually stop spending our time doing the things that God's called us to. So how do we get discernment? Nehemiah stops, he clears up the untruth, and he prays that God would strengthen his hands. Malia Rogers said this at a staff meeting this week, Nehemiah is constantly modeling looking up at God before looking out at people. And I can often start by looking at myself 
and get stuck there to where I never look to God and then to others. That's good, huh? That we oftentimes spend so much of our time looking at ourselves and then out and finally to God when, when the actual process should be the opposite. That we look up to God, he helps us to look out to others and we consider them, so, them as better than ourselves. So we pray for discernment. We pray that God will strengthen our hands. We pray that God will allow us to see the truth, to see who we're up against and what we're up against. We pray that God would give us heads, hearts, and hands that are useful for his purpose. Not just heads, not just hearts, not just hands, but heads, hearts, and hands. That our whole selves will be given to him for his purposes in our lives. So Nehemiah's not going to fall for it, and he's instead going to look up to God to give discernment. Verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man run away as I run away, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Now, this is an interesting thing to me because it feels like Nehemiah is stuck between a rock and a hard place. Do I stop the work and go down to Ono, or do I go into the temple at this time? And so many times we can feel like we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Well, I only have two options. Because appearances present themselves as though we only have two options. I can do this or I can do this, and I don't like either one of them. But Nehemiah sees that there is not only two options for him. And instead, he understands that God will provide a way of escape even when we're tempted. And so he doesn't fall victim to the options that are presented to him, but rather, because he's looking at God, he understands what the right way forward is for him. Now, there's another cool thing here that we'll actually touch on next week about how Nehemiah is not a priest, and so he knows that he can't go into the temple because of the holiness of God. But there's this awesome section next week where God is talking about the priesthood of all believers, which means that God's going to call all of us to the priesthood and to his service. But Nehemiah leaves it at that for now. I will not go in. Verse 12, And I understood and I saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah Sanballat had, hi and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. So Nehemiah understands that even these, these people who have come and said, go into the temple, yeah, go into the temple, they said. It'll be fine, they said. Nehemiah understands that even these people are coming with motives that are not pure. And that's a reflection of the adversary as well. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says that the, the devil comes masquerading as an angel of light. that we can be tricked so easily by this devil. But Nehemiah has 
discernment to understand that even somebody presenting as good motives can come with motives that are harmful and in opposition to God. So Nehemiah understands that Tobiah and Sambelet had hired them to come and tell Nehemiah to go into the temple. He's trying to make me afraid, he says, that I might act out of this fear and that I might sin against the Lord because of my fear. This is a good warning for us as well, that we oftentimes will sin out of our fear. That fear is something that can lead us to disobedience with the Lord. Because our eyes are on our surroundings or our circumstances or other people and not on God, our fear can keep us from obeying what God has for us. And for good measure, they were going to give Nehemiah a bad name in order to taunt him. They were going to Patrick Beverly, Nehemiah. Yes. So what do we do? We need to pray for discernment that God would open up our eyes to the truth of how he views things. A few weeks back, Pastor Trey had talked about our weapon against the opposition And I want to talk here a little bit also about our defense against the opposition. Because the best offense is good defense. I've lost the non-sports people. (laughs) Maybe we'll start talking about music or something else or math or something. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 and 18. This is after Paul has said that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the principalities He says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. This is what we do. This is our defense against the adversary. We're praying at all times. God, fix my eyes on you. God, give me a heart that is like yours. God, strengthen my hands that I might serve you. We're praying in the spirit at all times, and we're asking the Lord to give us these things that we've just described as the armor of God. Now, we could do a whole sermon on on the armor of God, and we won't do that now, but I just want to point out a couple of things. The belt that we wear is the belt of truth. Again, that we will not uh, live as though lies are true. That we will confront lies when we see them, when we hear them. That we might be willing to step up and say, what you have said is not true. That's our belt that we put on the breastplate of righteousness, that God God gives us righteousness as a gift of salvation. It's not something we earn on our our own. It's not something that we can actually uh, develop without him, but that he gives us that breastplate of righteousness as a gift of of, of the salvation. We, we, from head to toe, we're decked out. We put our shoes, uh, on our shoes, we put on feet that are, that are ready to bring the gospel of peace to the world. 
how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. We put on those shoes that are ready to bring this gospel of peace to the world, even in the midst of battle. In every circumstance, we take up this shield of faith, the shield, the shield, the faith that God has given us, the faith that, 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 that we hold on to, is what is going to extinguish all of those darts that the devil is sending our way. Our faith is strong so that no matter how many darts he sends, we're not going to be shaken. And we put on this helmet of salvation, which includes the mind of Christ that is being renewed. And we hold out that sword of the Spirit, which Trey had reminded us is our weapon against the adversary. But all of this is rooted in that prayer that we have at all times with our eyes looking up at God and then out to the world. Number three, we need to discern when God has won. Now, I wanted to include this because, one, this is how our passage wraps up, and two, we're just not very good at celebrating God's victories a lot of the time. Typically, if you're like me, and maybe you are, when there's a victory that the Lord has done in our lives, we're on to the next thing. But now I want God to take care of that. Lord, thank you for this, but now I'm looking ahead to that. When are you going to work on that? Is it just me? Okay. There was at least 15 honest people in here. That's good. We oftentimes will move on in our minds to the very next thing that we want God to do in our lives rather than taking a moment to understand that God has won the victory. Ultimately, eternally, through the death, of Je- death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and also in these battles that we face along the way. We need to know when God has won the victory, because if we don't know that we've won, we'll be tricked into thinking that God might still lose. We'll be tricked into thinking that, yeah, he'll win ultimately, but somehow he didn't win in this circumstance. And that's not true. That's not a true view of God's eternal salvation and eternal redemption of the world. If God has lost in this moment, then he is not God. Isn't that right? In other words, the adversary is at all, at all times fighting against God, but the, even the adversary knows that his doom is sure. And even when things don't go our way, even when things harm us, even when people mean things for evil, God is able to use those as good. And I know there are times in our lives where we pause and we think, how can God possibly use this? But if we believe the truth of the word of God, he does. And it's the most beautiful thing that I can imagine. That even the pain and the sorrow that we go through on a daily basis, 
can somehow be used by God for good. For our good and for his glory. So we have to know when God is, has won because it colors the way that we view all of our daily moments. The fact that it is finished, and Jesus said that on the cross, it is finished, he meant what he said, colors the way that I view the process that I am still going through today that is not yet completed, right? And so this last section paints that picture beautifully in Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah is seeing that God is still at work though the battle is ongoing. So we need to discern when God has won. Verse 15, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month in Elul in 52 days. The same glorious results. The wall was finished. God's work is going to go forward with or without us. But he wants to use us. Isn't that beautiful? It's like what Esther, uh, what, was, what was said in the book of Esther. Um, even if you aren't giving yourself to this, God will raise up salvation for his people from someplace else. And that's the truth of what God's work is. That his work will be accomplished, his wall will be built. It might not be in the timing that we hope for. It might not be in the ways that we expected. But God is going to raise up salvation for his people from somewhere, and it might as well be us who participate with him. Amen? Amen. And God wants to use us in that way. So the wall was finished in 52 days. It gives new, it gives new uh, flavor for how I view Jesus' statement when he says, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Because people who, people who heard Jesus say that would have been out of their minds based on what they've been through in the book of Nehemiah. 52 days for all of them working and all the opposition and the adversary working against us. Jesus is saying, I'll do that in three days. Because ultimately, he wins the victory over our adversary in a way that we never could. So we need to know when we have won and the wall has been accomplished. And it might not be in our timing. It might not be in the way that we expected, but God is going to accomplish his works. In verse 16, and when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid. Now who's afraid? And fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And this is what God does. When he accomplishes his work, it's a testimony to the nations that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so all the nations are afraid. They fell greatly in their own esteem, which means that they were humbled, which is what we all need. And they knew that God's work had been accomplished. Verse 17, moreover, in, the, in those days... The nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. Now, this is a fascinating statement to me, because even though the wall is completed, the work has been, the work has been accomplished. 
you read earlier, or we read earlier, that the doors and the gates weren't on, on, on there yet. Right? Which means that there's still a chance that we can work against the people of God. The adversary knows that the gates and the doors are still not there. There's a last moment, last ditch effort that we can still work against God's people. In other words, the adversary, until the very end, is going to pursuing this opposition even though he knows that his doom is sure. What an idiot. Right? And yet, sometimes we live our lives that way. We know that God's the, God has given us the victory. We know that God has won against the opposition already. And sometimes we live as though maybe the battle might go the other way this time. Do you ever watch those old classic games on ESPN? Sorry for the non-sports fans. You know what's going to happen, but each time you're watching it, you're like, it's so amazing again. Maybe he'll miss the shot this time. We trick ourselves into thinking that, that maybe, maybe in this scenario, it's not going to play out the way we know that it will. But we know that God's victory is accomplished and his will and his purposes will be accomplished no matter what the adversary continues to do. But this shows us in verse 17 that there are people who will continue to work against the purposes of God even though it's evident that his, his, he has won. And so there's still letters going back and forth from the nobles to Tobiah to Tobiah and to the nobles. There's still these secret messages going back and forth. How can we bring it down. I don't know that I have to necessarily say this, but even in churches, there are times that we do this with each other. Where we don't go to a person directly, but we'll send letters behind people's backs. I've done it. I'm not accusing anybody here. But we can sometimes continue to work against the purposes of God through secret letters with one another. We've got to be careful about that. Or another problem that we can fall into, and Frank has said this before, that sometimes we are rooting for whoever's going to win. We know that whoever's going to win this battle will root for. So Nehemiah's looking like maybe he'll win, but the nobles are pretty strong too, so I'm going to side with the nobles because they're the nobles. And hopefully I'll join with their forces and we'll win this battle. We've got to be careful about choosing sides based on who we think is going to win and rather have discernment to know when God has already won. Verse 18, for many in Judah were bound by oath to, the, to him, to Tobiah, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah uh, and the son of Era, and his son Jehohonan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. So in other words, we're following certain people because we think they have power. And this, this politics here in the scripture is a warning to us as well. That we have to be careful making our decisions based on the, what we think is the evidence of who's in charge and who has power. But rather we want discernment to view things as the Lord has. Also they spoke of his good deeds, verse 19, in my presence and reported my words to him and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. <laughs> Tobiah's not giving up. 
still trying to produce that fear in Nehemiah. It's a, it's a recognition that this battle is ongoing and will continue to go in our lives, even though Christ has won the victory on the cross. It's that now and not yet life of the Christian. That one day God will set this right for all eternity, but in the meantime, there's still this battle that we face. Listen to what the scripture says to us about this fear. Joshua tells us not to be afraid in Joshua 1.9. Jesus tells us not to be anxious in Matthew 6.25. Paul tells us not to be frightened in Philippians 1.28. Peter tells us not to fear anything that is frightening in 1 Peter 3.6. Anything that is frightening, don't fear it, says Peter. And those aren't the only places. You can go through the whole scripture and, and pick out hundreds of verses that, that address this issue. Isaiah in 41.10 saying, Do not fear, for I am with you, says the Lord your God. 1 Peter in 1 Peter 5 saying, Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Resist that devil who's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. It's all over the place, this idea that the adversary can try to produce this fear in us, but that the people of God are not going to succumb to that fear. And instead, that we will be a people who fix our eyes on God, ask for him to strengthen our hands and our hearts and our minds so that we might continue to do his work here in the church and beyond the walls of the church to the ends of the earth. Friends, God's purposes for us, though we face this opposition, are more beautiful than we might ever imagine. In Jesus, we have a better Nehemiah. We have a better wall. We have a better gate and door. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better covenant. We have a better city, and we have a better future. Andrew Purves says it this way, the future that awaits the church is not the result of our own work, however, but the redemption of all things in Christ. In other words, he fulfills this covenant in a way that we never possibly could. And he has won the victory over this adversary. And the work truly is finished for those who are in Christ. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you would remove from our hearts the fear that we have that is keeping us from the work that you have for us, your church. God, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts and our minds and our hands, that we might have discernment to view matters in the way that you view them rather than the way that they are presenting to us in the world. And that, God, ultimately, that you would be glorified through us, your church, in the process. God, we praise you that you have made a way of salvation for us. That, that Jesus, that you came to destroy the work of the devil. And that you accomplished that in your death on the cross. And that by res rising the third day, that you have given new life to all who believe. God, may we be a people who are confident in you for these things and that we would not be fearful of anything that is frightening. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that are here, 
as well as those who are listening online, that you would, God, give us your spirit of peace, that we would put on the full armor of God, that we might stand against the work of the devil, knowing that, Lord, you have already won the victory in Jesus Christ. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen. Friends, at this time, we are going to take communion. And we do this not just as a, a ritual or a routine, but we do this because God, Jesus himself has said, do this as often as you meet. That we would remember until his coming that he has won the victory through his death and his resurrection. That he has, through his blood that was shed on the cross, through his body that was given on the cross, that he has won this victory. Hallelujah. And that we might participate with him in that victory. We are more than conquerors with Christ. So we'll take this communion at this time. There are self-serve kits down here. We're hoping to move back to the bread and the cup at some point. But for now, we have these self-serve kits. We're going to respond in worship. And we'd ask that you come forward to receive those kits front to the back, one row at a time. And we're doing this, one, because we want to... We're doing it this way because we want to participate with Christ in that victory that he has given us through his death and his resurrection. That we move with him, that we give our whole selves to him. Not just our minds and our hearts, but our, our, our very bodies, our very selves given to the, to the Lord. That he might strengthen our heads and our hands and our, and, and our hearts for his glory. So we'll take that communion. You can come, grab the communion, come back to your seats, and then take them as the Lord leads you during this responsive worship time. God, we pray your blessing over this communion and the elements. We pray that you be glorified through this as well, that, Lord, each person who takes this communion today would be confident of your victory in Jesus Christ, and that we might live our lives as such, as those who are more than conquerors with you both now and forevermore. Amen.
Oh 
As ascending prayer, I thought I'd read from something that Pastor Tyler shared this morning from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. It says, Finally, church, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So church, stand this week. Live all of life, all for Jesus. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.